If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians, it's one of Paul's letters, epistles to the church of Ephesus. It's toward the back of the Bible. And we're going to use this text this morning to launch into uh, a five-week sermon series called The Pillars. And it's going to be looking at the pillars of our Christian faith, um, what some of these pillars are that came out of the Reformation, things like grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. If you're, if you're new to the church, if you've been here a long time, either way, this is great stuff for all of us to, to kind of remember what are the pillars on which we stand, and clearly uh, Christ Jesus alone. One of my team members, uh, one of our team members here at Orangewood told me the story this week, Jared, that uh, he was checking out at Publix and he got up to the checkout clerk and it was a chatty checkout clerk, which, by the way, are you ones who like chatty checkout clerks or don't like chatty checkout clerks? Where are you? Uh, I usually love them unless, of course, you're in a hurry. Then you're like, come on, please. But uh, um, this one was chatty and, and it was great and started a conversation and was able to say, uh, you know, hey, uh, tell me your story, actually kind of shared that he was in school and Jared asked him, hey, what are you studying? And he said, philosophy. And Jared asked, well, why, why did you choose philosophy? He goes, because I really just, I want to help people. I want to uh, kind of make a difference and help people. And he asked Jared, well, what do you do? And Jared said, well, kind of the same thing of helping people uh, that I'm a pastor. And as soon as he heard that Jared was a pastor working with students, he says, you know, I've been more interested in religion lately, especially Buddhism and Christianity. And so Jared said, okay, well, I'll I'll bite. Uh, What makes you interested in religion or specifically Christianity? He says, you know, with Christianity, it's just that altruistic uh, fever or, or flavor that would basically say, hey, love your neighbor. I mean, how important it is to, to care for, for others and how wonderful. But then he said this. He said, with Christianity, if you're good enough, you got a shot. Hmm. With Christianity, if you're good enough, you got a shot was the reason why he was interested in Christianity. But if you know the Bible, the story of Christianity, that is actually has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. That is not what biblical Christianity is about. Biblical Christianity isn't a God that says to you and to me, hey, if you're good enough, then you have a shot. But really, this is a a fundamental human approach to religion and God, not just now, but through the ages, since really, since man rebelled against God. Is that what do we have to do? What do we have to do to be good enough? What do we have to do to, to be good enough so that God will look at us and he will give us a shot? I bet you there's many people in here that can relate to that. I've had as many people here who says, you know, man, who do I have to be or what do I have to do so that I, I can find favor with this holy God? What do I have to do so that we would have a shot? Well, 2017 is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And at the core of this Reformation was dealing with that thought, that erroneous thought that if you're good enough, you have a shot. And so for the next several weeks, we'll be looking at five key biblical truths or or pillars that emerged from this Reformation that was dealing with basically the premise, hey, if I'm good enough, is that okay? And we're going to see, according to God's word, that it's really, it's salvation is purely by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to God's word alone, for the glory of God alone. 
And each one of these truths is like a pillar that stands there, but they're never alone by themselves. They're always connected. All right, a couple things. First of all, as we look to this series and we look back even 500 years ago at the Reformation that brought us these, the last thing we want is that this to feel like a trip to the museum. I certainly don't want you to come thinking, okay, great, we're going to hear some ancient stuff that, that might be important or some pillars or some old things. Like when you go to a museum and you look at old stuff that really is not pertinent today. The reason we're looking at this is this is God's living word. And this isn't a trip to the museum. Uh, this is a trip to, for us to go and to examine our lives and our hearts and our worlds to see how do they compare to what God's word is telling us. And we also have to realize that the Reformation is not the ones who built these pillars. It didn't come from the Reformation where they say, oh, now we get it. It's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. No, no, no. The Reformation rediscovered the truth that was always there, this eternal, unchanging God, which is always there from the very beginning about our unchanging God. That's always been from Genesis to Revelation throughout time by God's grace, through faith in Christ, according to God's word for his glory alone. When we look at these five things, you got to know that what they were dealing with was with specific problems that were plaguing the culture, the church of the day. The reason they wrestled with these things is because the church and the people were wrestling with them. But it's not just then, it's now as well. And one thing that they were thinking about is, how do we get right with God? Isn't that a question you've asked? Isn't a question we've all asked? How do we get right with God? And there was a thinking that, well, God graciously gives us things. And it was, it was God's grace plus, it was a gracious God plus what we needed to do. But according to God's word, grace of God plus anything that we can offer is not a positive, it's a negative. It's actually repugnant to God. So when we ask the question, and what is good enough to merit salvation? Well, really what the Reformation was dealing was thinking about that wrong thinking that, that we somehow had in us the ability to work with God, to merit righteousness and salvation. And the church kind of promoted that. The church would say that you can help merit salvation through the sacraments, uh, things like baptism, that baptism was the removal of original sin. And you had to have your babies baptized so, so that they could make sure they're okay and remove that original sin, that it was grace plus that. They also talk about the Lord's Supper or Mass as a, as a true sacrifice that truly took away our sins. It was propitiatory. There was more. They, they would try to take pilgrimages. They would go to places like Jerusalem and, and they'd go and look at the relics to, to try to merit salvation. They even had a practice where they would buy indulgences that they would buy uh, the ability to set free some friends or, or relatives who, who might be in hell or purgatory, a place the Bible is even mentioned. That you could buy indulgences, basically buy merit or your way in. They even would have things like, well, maybe if the saints, some other godly people prayed for us, if I could get the saints to pray, I could get, maybe have more merit. And the ultimate of trying to earn your way was monicism, which is basically saying, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to try to uh, eschew everything that this world has to offer. And I'm going to give my life to God. And I'm, I'm going to try to earn my way in. This is exactly what Martin Luther did. Martin Luther said, man, there is a God. And I think he's angry with me because I'm a sinner. 
And so what I'll do is I'll stop my law career. I'm, I'm going I'm to try to become a monk and I'm going to try to do the best thing I can. And the more and more that he tried to move toward God, the more and more he felt God was angry with him. The more and more he felt like God was tricking him. You ever think that way about God? He said, well, God's offering a carrot, but he turned around and he hit me with a stick because I never was good enough. You see, if you're trying to merit your way, if, if, if you're here today, you're trying to earn your way or do that Led Zeppelin, that stairway to heaven, the problem is you'll never know, am I really good enough? What is good enough? If you're good enough and then you get a shot, well, you have to ask the question, did I pray enough? Did I fast enough? Uh, did, I, did I watch enough? Did I confess enough? Man, what a plague that is. And then we come to God's word and realize it's not about what we do. I want to tell you, it's not about what we do and don't do. It's all about what God has done. And the grace of God, what he's done for us in his son. So let's look to God's holy and errant word. We're going to look to uh, Ephesians 2. We're going to read this incredible section of scripture. It'll be listed for you in your bulletin. It'll be on the words behind me as well. But this is like the meat of the gospel, the meat of the reformation, the meat of the good news of what Christ has done for us, the incredible meat of the story uh, of Christ Jesus. So let's hear the word of God, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, reading through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Well, there's a nice rosy picture of who we are. But this is what scripture tells us of who we are apart from Christ. But hear the good news, this incredible pivot in verse 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, what a picture your word paints for us this morning of who we are apart from you and who we are by your grace in Christ Jesus. Oh, God, would you come and would you join us in a way that each one of us could see where we rightfully are in this passage, in this story. May this not be a trip to the museum to talk about pillars that were built a long time ago. May the spirit of the living God be with us in a way that you speak to each and every one of us this morning. God, give us ears to hear your voice. Give us minds to understand your word. Give us hearts to embrace your truth. 
and give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. Or as this passage says, to walk in the the good works in which you prepared for your people to do beforehand. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and quickly be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you will find an outline. And we're going to see first and foremost of this need for grace in verses one through three. Did you hear what Paul wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit of who we are apart from Christ? It says this, is that we are dead in our sins. If Christ Jesus isn't alive in our hearts by God's grace through faith, that we are dead, that our sins have caused not just a a mark on us. They haven't just caused us to be crippled or or broken. They killed us. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. It goes on to say that by nature, we are children of wrath. It's, it's basically saying this to us. You're not, you're not dead in your sins because you've lived a, a life full of sin, although that is true, that we are dead in our sins because we are born in that condition. That ever since the fall, the, the guilt and the depravity and the brokenness of Adam and Eve, that has been passed on to all of us. Scripture will say that each one of us is born in iniquity. We are born with a sin problem. And that sin problem has caused us to be dead spiritually to God. And apart from him, by very nature, children of wrath. It says it's affected all of us. It's affected our body. It's affected our mind. It's affected our nature. There's nothing that you see. There is nothing that you do that hasn't been affected by the fall and the curse and the brokenness. It's all around us. Do you not see it? Do you not see it inside you and around you? That brokenness is a part of us. And it's what God would say is being dead in sin. When Luther wrestled with this, when Luther wrestled with his own sin, he was realizing that he had all these sins that he was wrestling with, but he came to the conclusion it's not just individual sins. It's the nature of a sinner. That by nature that we are sinners. And he wrote this incredible book called The Bondage of the Will. It's what he called it. Is that we're, we because of the sin, we have this bondage to sin that affects everything in which we do. It's what theologians call total depravity. What basically says that we don't have the ability to merit favor. We don't have the ability to try to, to do enough good so we have a shot. It's just not in us. As a matter of fact, scripture will say, not only is that our nature, but the fruit of our lives. And once we walked apart from Christ, we walk and the fruit of our lives is a sinful nature. We follow the prince of the power of the air and we're we're broken. Paul will say it another way in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. And, And what I love about this is I wanna show you, this is what it says in Ephesians. Let me show you what it says in Romans. But let me tell you what Romans is doing is it's quoting Psalm 14. So this isn't just some random thought over here in Ephesians. This is something that's pervasive all the way through God's word. So here's what God's word says of us apart from Christ. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, 
No, not one. Wow, that's, <laughs> yikes, right? I mean, God's word is going to say, you know, you, your righteous acts in a holy God's eyes apart from Christ, well, they're filthy rags. And listen, we think, well, that can't be. I know that there's civic good we do. I'm sure you do a lot of it. And the world might think that you're, you're, you're awesome. And the IRS may say, this person pays their taxes and they, they pay it on a time. So in the world's eyes, you say, well, there's a lot of good in me. Well, in holy God's eyes, we all got a problem. And it's not just a little one. It's a devastating one. I mean, if Christianity, if that, that, that checkout clerk was right, if Christianity is telling us that if we're good enough, we have a shot, God's word tells us there's none of us that are good enough. There's none. No, not one. Mom, Teresa, anybody you look down through the course of history, any of the heroes we look to, they had the same condition that you have in your seat, that I have in standing before me, that apart from Christ, we're dead. So what does this mean? Well, it tells us that dead people can't be good enough, right? It tells us that if there's no one who does good, no, not one, then not one of us could merit salvation. What does this drive us to? The only way, if, if salvation is possible and, and none of us are able to do it, then this is what it drives us to, that we are saved by God's grace alone. It's by sheer grace of God that we are accepted in the Beloved. We have nothing to add to the formula. It's not like, well, God met me halfway. Well, well God came to this man and I, I moved toward him and, and together we got this great salvation. Do you know what we add to our salvation? The only thing we add is our sinfulness and our depravity. And God takes his son and his love and his grace and he takes our sin and our depravity and they meet and they kiss on the cross. What do we have to offer for the equation? Just brokenness, just death, pleading for God's grace. We are saved only by grace alone. Now listen, this isn't just a theological distinction that makes some churches reformed and some not. This is a reality for all of us. There has never been and there will never be someone saved by grace and their merit. It's not true for Mother Teresa. It's not true for Billy Graham. It's not true for you. It's not true for me. There has never been and there will never be someone who stands beloved before Jesus, cleansed and beautified because of anything they've done. Apart from the grace of God in Christ Jesus alone. So whether you embrace this as a theological truth or not, this is a biblical reality that we are saved sheerly by the grace of God. But what is the formula? We see the need for grace. The second thing is the formula for God's grace in verses four through nine. What I love about scripture, it's gonna be very clear that in creation, it was God's work alone, was it not? Uh, God didn't conspire with man to think of what would be a good idea of creation. No, no, no. The Bible begins with in the beginning, God. It's all about him. It's his story. I mean, before we came into existence, this eternal God was acting and moving and loving and creating. And the Bible tells us that God created all things by the power of his word. Think about that. Think about the cosmos, the world, creation itself, and the power of God to speak. And they came into existence. 
And it's interesting because theologians will look at Genesis 1 and 2 and say something that we cannot miss is that God created everything ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. It wasn't God plus, you know, carbon, God plus uh, some really important matter or God plus angels. and It was God. God alone, ex nihilo, out of creation, created the world. And it's God alone who brings recreation or new life. The formula, again, is it's God. salvation is of the Lord. It's his idea and it's his formula. And I love how Paul says it in verse four, but God, there's our picture, but God, there's hope. So what is the formula? It's this. The first thing is this. It needs a God, God the Father who is rich in mercy and who has with great love loved us. It's a God who, yes, he's holy and yes, he's just, but a God, and man, it's a, it's a mystery. It loves sinners. It's a holy father that we don't have to be like Luther was when he was trying to merit his salvation, afraid of God, who would actually turn to hate God because he felt like, I could never do enough. You're always moving it on me. I could just never do enough. But when he gets to God's word and he opens up and he sees the father for who he truly is, that our God is rich in mercy. Our God is full of mercy and with great love, he loves us. It makes verses like Romans 5, 6, and 8 just jump off the page and say to us that God demonstrates his own love for you. God demonstrates his own love for me that while we were still sinners, while we're dead in our trespasses and sins, he would send his son to come and die for us. That's a God who's rich in mercy. That's a God who lavishes great love upon us. How, How do you view God this morning? Do you view him as angry with you? If you view him as angry with you, then you must think that somehow you're trying to merit something you can never merit. But for those of us, by God's grace, who realize he is not mad at us, he lavishes love on us, he's shown us great mercy in Christ Jesus, it's all about him, oh, the amazing grace in which we sing. So it starts off with a God, the Father, who, who is rich in mercy and who great love will demonstrate that love by sending his son for us. It also goes to God, the Son, The God, the son who would love us enough to take on flesh and walk among us. God, the son who will, who will do everything God, the father requires of us so that he can stand in our place. So that his righteousness can become our righteousness. So that he, the only one who could do good and did do good could die in our place. That his life, unbelievable, that that his life can now be our lives. That's what Paul will say in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was realizing that I only have life. This dead man only comes to life because of the reality of Christ Jesus, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of his sacrifice. Oh my goodness, do I love God because of that reality. But scripture wants us to make sure that we understand the priority of this. We love God because he first loved us. And oh, how he loved us. What's the formula? It's about a father who is merciful. It's a father who is filled with love, a son who will come and love and lay his life down for us. It's God, the Holy Spirit. It took all of God to get all of us. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. God, the spirit who makes us alive in Christ Jesus. 
So that's got to happen, right? If you're dead in Christ and you're going to have now life, you have to be, I'm sorry, if you're dead in sins, you have to be made alive in Christ. It's the only way it works. So how does that happen? It's God, the Holy Spirit. I love what uh, the prophet Ezekiel, it's an incredible book, an incredible prophet. If you want to read in fascinating prophecy, read Ezekiel. But Ezekiel 36 is one of my favorite chapters. And it talks about the reality of what God does in our salvation. It says this, is that God in spirit is going to remove your heart of stone. That's, that's, that's the death part. The one that's, that's so corrupt because of sin. He's going to remove your heart of stone and he is going to give you a heart of flesh. Or as Paul will say, he's going to make you alive. Maybe if we want to look at it this way, it's what Jesus told Nicodemus, a religious leader in John chapter three, St. Nicodemus, if you want to get this, if you want to understand how to inherit the kingdom of God, if you want to know how to have a relationship with a holy God, you got to be born again. And you got to be born again. You got to be made new. And this is not born of flesh and blood. This is, this is born of the spirit of God. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who makes us alive, who even gives us this gift of faith. We'll look at that next week. That is the formula for us to be saved. It's a father who's merciful and loving. It's a son who lays down his life. It's a Holy Spirit who makes alive. And it's grace. It's all his grace. By grace, you have been saved. No one has been saved apart from it. And what does it offer us? Some incredible current blessings and reality. Again, as it unpacks this, Paul is going to use this Greek word, uh, the tense of being past tense. It's he, we have been raised up in Christ Jesus. This is a reality that has already happened. By God's great grace in Christ Jesus, through faith, he sees us has been made alive. He sees us as a part of that resurrection is ours. That we've been, we have already been raised with Christ Jesus. It says not only that, we've already been seated with him in the heavenly realms. Where Christ is, we are present in him. His victory is our victory. His standing is our standing. God's never going to change his mind about us. Think about that. Your standing doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. And the work of Christ was sufficient. That he wants to say, by the way, you were raised. You are seated. This is done deal. This is not changing my mind. This is amazing grace. But there's more to come. There's not only just current blessing, there's a future reality in blessings. In verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There's a uh, very popular preacher out of Texas and written some books. And one of his books that he has written was called The Best Life Now. And the best life now is really bad theology because it's telling us that, that somehow all that God has to offer us, all that God has for us is now. And I'm telling you right now, I want to raise my hand and say, if this is it, when my mom's still wrestling with Alzheimer's and stroke, if this is it, my sister's still recovering from cancer surgery, if this is it, with my number of my friends whose marriages are on the rocks, if this is it, with our kids who still haven't come back, if this is it, with the cancer that's still raging, if this is it, with war still going on, if this is it, the way I still act and live my life as if I don't even know him sometimes, if this is it, are you kidding me? He's saying, no, 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 there's a reality you have right now. You've been raised in Christ Jesus. You've been seated with him. You are mine and you are forever mine. But there are for, there's riches coming, immeasurable riches coming that he wants to lavish upon us. Think about the reality 
of how you love to show those you love favor and riches. That you, serving somebody you love is not really serving them, it's delighting in them. This is a father. Listen, this is a father who loves us enough to send his son. This is a father who's willing to watch his son die to the point where he has to turn away and, and look away from the son so he can draw us in. This is a father who says, I've given you Jesus and I'm not going to stop giving you blessings and riches. There's more to come. For those of you who have a heavy heart, for those of you who have prayed a really long time and don't seem to have answers, for those of you who have been wrestling with that darkness of your sin, for those of you who have just strained in your life to the breaking point, let me remind you of gospel truth, of who you are in Christ Jesus and what's still to come. You see, you get this. When you realize that that the formula is all of the triune God and grace alone for salvation, The good news of the gospel is incredibly good. And when you realize that it's not that we have to be good enough to get a shot, but we realize that Christ was was good enough, so we don't just get a shot, we get a reality of being loved. It's amazing grace. You will know if you get this. This is a great litmus test. When you sing amazing grace and you can't help but weep, and when you get get to the point which says, that he would save a wretch like me. And it's not like a wretch like them, but you realize it's a wretch like me. I had nothing to offer the equation. All I brought to this relationship was rags, filth, and depravity, and amazing grace. How sweet the sound that would save a wretch like me. And then what are the results of grace alone? Verse 10. We... In Christ Jesus, by God's grace through faith, where is workmanship? We're basically saying, where is masterpiece? It's, it's not Mount Everest. It's not the oceans. It's not the sunset. It's not the cosmos. It's, it's nothing in creation. We are his best work. We're the ones he's created in his image. We're the ones he's redeemed with the blood of his son. We're the ones he's made new through the reality of what Christ has done. And all of creation, we're it in Christ Jesus. We're his best work. It's us. Wants to show the world how amazing he is through you and me. We are created in Christ Jesus. He is the one. His life, our life. His death, our death. His resurrection, our resurrection. We are created in Christ Jesus and we are created for what? For good works, for God's plan to unfold. We are to walk now as recipients of God's grace and we're to bear fruit. We're walking in a manner worthy of his name. It basically says you're not just a a recipient of God's grace, you're an instrument of God's grace. And listen to how God describes his workmanship. His masterpiece. The dead have come to life. The children of wrath have become the workmanship of God. Those who walked in sin, following the course of the world, walk in good works, following God's plan. What an incredible grace of God. It's not Christianity that says to us, if you're good enough, you have a chance. We have to realize, listen, our good works Our good works never create in us righteousness before God. We say that again. Our good works in us never create in us righteousness before God. But look at this grace of God. But but Christ's righteousness in us always produces good works. 
The reality is it's not what we do so God finds favor. It's because God found favor, we respond accordingly. Because he says, my righteousness I impute to you. I'll take your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. So that we can do that what he created us for. To bear fruit, to walk with him, and to show the world that we're his. But we only do that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to God's word alone, for the glory of God alone, are we saved. Do you get that? How is it with you? Let me, let me just tell you, you may think it's right and noble to think, yeah, but you know, there's God's grace, but there's also my effort. I, I gotta tell you, that's repugnant to God. It's not just neutral. He's like, no, 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 no. My son was enough. Quit living as if he's not. It's not that you got to earn this. It's not that you got to be better. It's not that it's about you. It's about him. Take your eyes off of yourself and look at him. Look at him and realize that in him, you're my beloved. And as you do, you'll become more like him. So how do we respond? I think for those of us who are his workmanship, we keep singing amazing grace. We humbly say we need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's all by God's grace. It's all through faith. It's all in Christ Jesus. We are what we are. We owe him everything and humbly live our lives that way. And I gotta tell you, it's so important for us to live free and forgiven because we are different than the world who's out there saying, if I'm good enough, I have a chance. We are to live our lives saying, I know that I'm not even close to good enough but I've been given more than a chance. I've been given life. And if you're here this morning and you've never embraced Christ as Savior, if, you, if your equation is that it's God and me and hopefully it'll be good enough, God graciously offers you life. Life in Christ Jesus to realize that you are a sinner separated by, from, that sin separated you from a holy God. And there's only one way, one truth and one life back to the Father. And his name is Jesus. If you're able to say, this is my story. This is my song. Singing his praises all the day long. For a God who would love a wretch like me. Enough to give me his own son. So I could go from death to life. From by nature a child of wrath to a child of the king. To be trying to earn my salvation to find it completely in Christ Jesus. What amazing grace. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the pillar of truth that comes from you, your character and your word, that salvation is your idea. It's your accomplishment from start to finish. That we are saved by the grace of God alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone according to your word alone, for the glory of God alone. God, wherever we are in this journey, would you please take those who, who have yet to come to that reality. And today may be the day. Oh God, thank you that you're a father who's filled with mercy and love and compassion. God, be merciful to the one who doesn't know you. Open their eyes. Give them the ability to see. God, give them a, a heart of flesh. Give them the faith to believe so that heaven can rejoice. And for those of us who are your workmanship, may we live like it. 
Not trying to earn everything, anything, but because we received everything, because we're forgiven and free, may we truly be not just a recipient of grace, but an instrument of grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.